Welcome back to, uh, this is week four out of six of our guardrail series. If you've been hating it, you only got two more weeks to go and then it's over. And if you've been loving it, uh, it'll be up on the website uh, for all of eternity. And if you missed my announcement from last week, yes, I was in Cuba, went down Tuesday, got back around 1130 uh, last night, a rocky, bumpy old landing into uh, Moncton was good to get uh, my feet on the ground, and went to Cuba with a small delegation for uh, pastors from various churches, Wesleyan churches around Atlanta, Canada. And the Wesleyan church is, is just kaboom. It's just growing exponentially uh, in Cuba right now. Now, we weren't in Cuba before the revolution in 59. And if you weren't in Cuba before, then you're not going in now as a, as a, as a denomination. There's a group there that, uh, that was pre-existing before the revolution, and they wanted to, to join uh, the Wesleyan Church, and we embraced them with open arms. And, and there's this, this, this revival that's happening across the island uh, that is phenomenal, and I wanted to get down and see it for myself and uh, see how we uh, might be able to come alongside those people and, uh, and do what we can do to help them out. My first impression is that the people there are absolutely beautiful. They're, they're in every way. They're just, they're just, they're just, they're just, they're, they're just wonderful. They really are. They're warm, generous, thankful, happy people. Uh, we stayed in a, in a modest home uh, of the national superintendent for the Wesleyan Church there. No hot water. Uh, sometimes there was no water at all. None. Uh, we were far from the resorts. Uh, you know, don't, don't picture me laying on a beach. That's not where I was. And uh, we were back in the villages where give us today our daily bread is a real prayer. That's where, that's where we were. And uh, we witnessed the construction of the new headquarters. Now, when I say headquarters, I don't know what you picture in your mind, but you should picture people with, with just, you know, just the basic... Uh, uh, Concrete block. I mean, just just super super base. Don't don't picture anything elaborate when I say headquarters. And that's uh, that building is going to serve as an office and a church and a, and a training center until they can get another area up and running for their Bible their Bible school. Um, and like I said last week, that, that was the first building permit given to any religious group in the country of Cuba since the revolution in '59. That's it. <clears throat> So, you know, we jumped in and uh, we did whatever we could do there for a while. We shoveled, we wheelbarrowed, we, you know, we just got alongside the Cuban workers and they didn't understand us. We didn't understand them, but shovel is shovel and, you know, take this, go there. Yeah. And uh, we did, we did some of that. And then we visited several uh, churches, anything from a sugarcane community deep in the boonies, and I mean boonies, to uh, an urban house church uh, in downtown Havana. Uh, where we were on Friday, and each of these churches that we visited, there would be there would be a pastor and his family who were willingly serving Jesus, just literally just giving their lives um, to Jesus Christ and leading their community to Christ for maybe no salary at all, like like just pennies, just unbelievable uh, the sacrifices that we ma- that they make. We worshipped with them, we prayed with them, they prayed over us. Uh, and, and just the, the, the energy and the, the urgency and the, the zeal in their worship for Jesus was, was just super refreshing. And I might have even danced a little bit. 
just, just a little bit, and I hope it's not on video. And so there are lots of ways that we can partner with our brothers and sisters in Cuba, and I'll be sharing more about that in the weeks ahead. little recap for those of you who haven't been in on every week of the series yet. We've been saying that a guardrail is a personal standard of behavior. A personal standard of behavior. This is something that you set up, something that you put in place, that you establish in the danger places of your lives to keep us, to keep you from, from just going over the rails and blowing through all the warning signs and going places where you know that uh, you should not be places that could ruin your life. It's a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience so that when you get close to the guardrail, Something will alarm in your conscience. Something will, will ignite. Something will fire up. Lights will go off. Something inside of you will, will say, whoa, what am I doing? I, don't, I shouldn't go there and I shouldn't do that. And you'll back off before it's too late. And you'll make the adjustments and the corrections in your lives. And, uh, and you'll avoid the pitfalls and the danger and the junk and the garbage and everything else that we all know can ruin our lives. We were in um, local churches every day last week. And Thursday night was my night to preach with an interpreter. And I didn't know I was supposed to preach in Cuba. And all I had, all I had for this, I took my iPad, and all I had on this thing for sermons was Christmas sermons and guardrail sermons. And I am, I am a, look, here. That was my full manuscript, right? Page after page after page. I am word for word, and I'm useless without it. I cannot just take my Bible and start preaching. And even if you think I should, I can't. And so if I didn't have notes, I had, I, I, I had nothing. And uh, so I think, no problem. I'll do week one of guardrails and I'll talk about avoiding temptation. Big problem. I never saw a single guardrail in the whole country. Worse... To make it worse, this was the night that we drove an hour over roads that you would not take your vehicle on. You would not even call it a road. Uh, you, you would just think, this is, the, this is the end. This is the end of the earth, and this is the end of my life. I'm never coming back. I mean, miles past the boonies and past the sticks to, um, out to like this, this sugar cane farm. That was the end of the end of the end. And at the very end of that road, when you could not go any further, that last building on the end of that road was the church. That's where we were. And I thought I was going to talk about guardrails. Yeah. So instead of guardrails, we talked about fences and making decisions with our lives that honor God. And uh, my translator was uh, Pastor Rod Guptill, distant cousin of mine, pastor down in Woods Harbor, pastored in Columbia for many, many years, very fluent in Spanish. And I'm sure that Rod had to embellish and expand on my thoughts and try to make something relevant to these poor, poor people. And they were very gracious. And uh, the church, I, I, again, I, I'll show you pictures. We'll do a slideshow with Pastor Tim, some, you know, home movies with Pastor Tim sometime. They had scrounged up enough to, to purchase half of a home. Now, you have to imagine one home. I mean, half of a home would be no wider than this guardrail right here, right? That was it. And, and about as deep. And that was it. And, and you've got 40 to 50 people just packed in to this little tiny room three times a week. Come on. 
uh, three times a week. Uh, it's hard enough to get people out one time a week here in Canada. And a beat-up guitar and a broken tambourine lifting the roof off the place for Jesus. Just, just, just lighten her up for Jesus so that, I mean, houses, any house in, in the neighborhood within a mile would have to hear these people just, 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 just singing their hearts out, their heads off for Jesus. Anyhow, very exciting. So that's my little guardrail story from last week. Uh, we've talked about friendships in this series. We've talked about resisting temptation. And today is going to be real fun. We're going to talk about guardrails in our marriages. Woohoo! Yippee! Are you excited? I should have brought you back some Cuban coffee. Come on now, don't let the weather get you down. I, I, I need you. You, get, you're, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta help me preach this this morning. So, okay, we're gonna talk about marriage. So, anytime you talk about marriage, you gotta lay the ground rules first. Okay, you all right? Ground rules first. See, I'm used to the Cubans who are just woo. They're just, you know, super expressive. You know, and they're just yeah. Okay, so. This, uh, here's the ground rules. This only works when you unfold your arms and relax. Unfold and relax. No eye rolling, and I can hear your eyes rolling. <laughs> Especially when 300 of you do it at the same time. <laughs> okay, I can hear it. Uh, no elbowing. No huffing. All you huffers out there, knock it off. Stop huffing. No more huffing, okay? Um, no no dragging your spouse to the front of the church. <laughs> this sermon was for you. You know, none of that. Uh, you might come forward together at the end of the service, but no, no dragging, okay? Now, I would love for Moncton Wesleyan to have a divorce rate of zero. Come on. Zero. Zero is a good number. And I would love for all of Canada to wonder what has gotten into us and why we're able to stay together. And I would love for your friends to see something different, something special in your marriage, and for them to want to bring their marriage to Jesus. I would love to see a level of faithfulness to to one another that is totally off the charts. I would love for every child in our church to be raised in a safe, loving, secure environment where they can come home every day and know that there will be two committed people waiting for them. Thank you, Shirley. If you are single and you would like to get unsingled, right? This is going to be helpful for you today. Be the person you want the person you are looking for to be. Take notes today and determine that if God brings the right person into your life, that you will have a healthy, faithful, God-honoring marriage. Young adults and teens, this is a great message for you as well. If your teenager isn't here or or you know a young adult, call them, go get them. And you're allowed to drag them to church. You're just not allowed to drag them to the front after the service, you know, to the altar. Uh, This is going to be a great message for young adults and teens. If you don't live in a home where these things are modeled or were modeled, I hope that you will commit today to break the cycle of brokenness. God can bring you one person that you can spend the rest of your life with. Rick Warren said that in marriage, we go from the ideal to an ordeal to wanting a new deal. And you know what? The new deal could be a new you in the same marriage. Okay, one more thing and then we're going to jump in. Those of you who are here this morning and you've been thinking about bailing. 
We, we have, we've got bailers all the time. We have bailers. Those of you who are here and you've been thinking about bailing, maybe you're just coexisting under the same roof and no one in this room knows that. Just you and your spouse know it. Nobody else knows. Uh, those of you maybe who are split right now but not yet divorced, or maybe you are divorced and haven't yet remarried, I, I want to encourage you today and, and just ask you to leave your heart open for reconciliation. Don't close the door. And if you already closed the door, crack that baby open for a few minutes with me this morning so where you're, you're, you're at least open to, to hear a word from God. That's, that's what I'm asking you to do. Be open to a miracle. Don't just check out. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Uh, be open to a miracle today. God can take anything. This, this is what we believe. This is the gospel. This is what we believe. God can take anything, any mess, and he can redeem it, he can restore it, and he can make it into something beautiful. Okay? So, we're, we're, we may as well go to the you know, most controversial text we can find on this. Why not? Let's just jump right in there. It's Ephesians chapter 5. It's a text that people love to take out of context. Uh, we're going to read it. And uh, it's going to raise a whole bunch of eyebrows, no huffing, no eye rolling, and then give me a chance to come back and unpack it, okay? It's Ephesians chapter 5. This is the second time in this series, if you're keeping track, that we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 50. All right, you ready? Paul says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's good. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife. As Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle, or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. Let's go back to verse 21. We can throw that up on the screen again, Cindy. Verse 21, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The basis, the framework, the foundation, the glue, the sticky factor of any healthy relationship is a mutual submission to one another. It's right there, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Mutual submission to one another. And this requires massive doses of humility. For most of us, humility is a discipline, right? Because it doesn't come natural. What comes natural is self-preservation, looking out for, my, for myself. And you have to stay focused and, you, and remind yourself to stay humble because it's not your natural reaction. And what's, what's ironic about this is that we, when we see someone else who is truly humble and, and they enjoy serving others, you find that attractive. You're like, wow, I really like that about that person. When you meet someone who's all about themselves, you find that repulsive. And yet we still don't live lives of mutual submission to each other, even though we find that attractive in other people. Isn't that ironic? 
It's a little weird. If someone has to win in the relationship, if someone has to win, no one wins. If no one has to win, everyone wins. Now, marriage isn't the Super Bowl, okay? Someone has to win the Super Bowl. There's got to be a, a, a winner in the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl isn't like elementary school. They're not going to give all the players trophies just for participating. You know, good job, good job, good job, good job, good job. They're not going to do that. They're going to pummel each other for four quarters, and someone will be the undisputed winner. If, if, you, if you're a spouse and you need to win, you are not being mutually submissive to one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. No elbowing, no huffing, no, see, I told you so, none of that. Some of you love to win. <laughs> Don't look around. <clears throat> Don't look around. I know it's hard. But some of you love to win. And you have to win. And you want to make all the decisions. And you have to be right about everything. And you're not happy until the other person has lost. And when you know that they've lost, then, you, then, you start, then, then that makes you happy. And you'll break the will of your spouse eventually. And you will drive a wedge in that relationship. Eventually, communication will be either nothing. There will be no communication at all because the, the, you know, the other person knows that you have to win. So what's the point? Or it'll be the opposite. It'll be total warfare and carnage and U, a UFC cage match until someone finally surrenders. Right? That's, that's, you'll have one of those extremes. And so one of your guardrails might be the, where you need to put up a guardrail when you start feeling like, I need to win this. Over everything. And you're all, every, time, every time there's an issue, every time there's, there's a decision, and you feel like it's got to go my way, maybe, you, maybe that's a place where you need to put a guardrail. And say to yourself, I don't, I don't, I don't always need to win. The need to always be right. Maybe when you start to feel the tension rising inside of you, something will trigger, something will light up and remind you that the basis for any healthy relationship is mutual submission to each other. Because as, as Paul says, we, we do that out of reverence to Christ. In other words, you understand, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are to model the attitude and the spirit of Jesus. You're to put others ahead of yourself. Humble yourself. Wash their feet. Take joy in serving the other person with, with humility. Okay, now the fun stuff. I'm going to keep going here. Uh, no, no clapping when I read something that you, you happen to, to like. Uh, verses 22, 23, and 24. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I'm going to explain. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Let me explain. <laughs> this is one of the most misused and, and, and out-of-context verses in all of Scripture. No one remembers. When, when people quote that one, no one remembers verse 21 that already told us to be mutually submissive to one another. Huh? Yes? So, I've, I've even had brides, brides-to-be, specifically ask me not to read that text in their ceremony because they had no intention of submitting to that, that, that man. 
I'm not making that up. I've heard them. You're not going to read that submission part, are you? True story. Don't forget that Jesus broke all sorts of barriers when it comes to to women and, and really elevating women. He definitely did not marginalize them. The New Testament recognizes the leadership of several women and highly values their contributions. The Wesleyan Church was one of the very first denominations to ordain women and has been a front runner uh, of women's rights around the world. Paul is talking about communication. And he's saying, ladies, don't break your husband down until he has no spine, no will, and no remote control. Don't be harsh. Don't be mean. Encourage him. When was the last time you told your husband that he was really good at something? How many times a day do you correct him? Ladies, we know we're wrong. And even if we're wrong, you don't have to point out everything and correct us over everything. Encourage your husband's ambitions. Ask him about his goals and, and take interest, at least in a few of his interests. You don't have to take interest in all of his crazy interests, but, but at least a few of them be interested in. And the key phrase here is in verse 22, where Paul says, as to the Lord, as to the Lord. When you submit to the Lord, you're in a relationship where there, there's open communication when you submit to the Lord. You, you seek to understand when you submit to the Lord. And I think a lot of times we're ranting to be heard rather than seeking to be understood. We want to voice an opinion more than we want to be a companion. Now, ladies, we need your help. There's no question about that. But it can't be in a way that is, that is controlling and overpowering. Are we okay? Verse 23, for a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Um, guys, I was talking to your wife last week. Called her from Cuba. It was an expensive phone call, but it was worth every, every night. And, and I know what your wife wants more than anything, guys. I know what your wife wants more than anything. She wants you to be the spiritual head of the family. She wants you to set the spiritual tone of the home. There's nothing she wants more than a man who is totally, fully committed, devoted, and fired up in his relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe some vacuuming too. But she wants to know that you are leading this family spiritually. And frankly, that one thing alone could radically transform your marriage. Now, I know that the tension, the tension that, that comes in, in marriages, it can come from a lot of things. It can come from finances. It can come from disagreements. You know, a lot, ton of other stuff. But I also think that if, if you go back in your marriage to your biggest area of regret, the place where the relationship was the rockiest or, or the whole thing started to break down, if in those moments two people had put their hands together and said, we need to pray about this together, the outcome likely would have been very different. And so guys... What Paul is saying here, this is a huge responsibility to be the spiritual leader in the home. And you can do it. Wives, tell him he can do it. Encourage him to be a spiritual leader. Encourage him to not give up. And guys, if you're, if you're sweating right now and, and you wish you were shooting pool or shooting bear or anywhere but here right now, 
Let me, let me tell you why you're pushing back against this. Let me tell you why you're sweating. Let me tell you why this, this makes you uncomfortable and makes you nervous and you just, you just, everything in you wishes you could be somewhere else. You're resisting this because the enemy knows that if you do this, your marriage will survive. The enemy knows that this can radically transform your relationship with your wife. Your home will be radically different if you do this. Your kids might have long-lasting marriages, healthy marriages, if you do this. We can transform schools, communities, neighborhoods, families, if you do this. It's a stinking battle because Satan does not want you to be the spiritual leader in your home. It's a, it's a battle that you're in. That's why you're sweating. That's why you're uncomfortable. That's why you're like, oh, when is this going to be over? And guys, your guardrail might be when you think you're too busy to pray. Your guardrail might be when you, when you, when you feel like, oh, we don't, we don't need to do that. Or when you feel like, well, I can, I'll read my scripture tomorrow. I don't, have, I don't have time for that today. When you can't take time to, to love your family as Jesus loves the church. When your behavior and your attitude start to drift from where you know they need to be. Something inside of you should go off. It should alarm. It should fire. It should ignite. And, 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 and you should wake up and remember that it is your spiritual responsibility to be the, the spiritual leader of your marriage. You make the... Guys, listen. Men, husbands, you make the decision. Say, we're going to church today. Okay? Be the spiritual leader. Uh, you decide, men, that you're going to prayer meeting. Why, why did, when did we start to think the prayer meeting was a ladies' event? Come on, ladies, where are you? Huh? You want to see some men at prayer meeting? Uh, there are some men there, but I want to see more. We need men responding to God's word. We need men kneeling at the front of this church week after week, praying for strength, praying for wisdom, praying for leadership, Praying that God would help you to be a man of God this week. A man of the word. A man who loves Jesus. Who loves his wife. Who's not going to be snared by some scheme or some fleeing temptation. We need our men to be so in love with Jesus that they refuse to let their marriage just just go over the guardrails into a, a wreck and a ruin. That's what we need. Verse 27. Uh, verse 27, where are you? You're right after 26. I know, but where are you? He did this to present her, the church, to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. You should have a guardrail in place when you start wishing your spouse was more like someone else. Or even when you wish your, you're just constantly wishing your spouse was more like you. They're not you. Paul uses the analogy of Jesus' sacrifice for us, the church. Jesus did what he did for you so that when God looks at you, he wouldn't see your spots and your wrinkles and your, and your blemishes. Jesus presents you to Jesus Christ radically transformed. If all you do is pick out the faults of your spouse, then you're at fault. And your relationship will be faulty. Now, do you see the imperfections of your spouse? Sure. Do you see your own imperfections? What are you doing to intentionally tell the other person that you love them in spite of, maybe even because of, all their imperfections? 
and their spots and their wrinkles. Wrinkles or no wrinkles, you are in this deal till death do you part. Oh, yes. Now, I'm going to suggest some guardrails that Gayla and I have in place. And one guardrail should be get permission from your wife before you use personal illustrations on the stage. <laughs> uh, and the fear in this, listen, everybody listening, please. The fear in this is that someone will think that we're perfect or that we think we're perfect or that we think we have a perfect marriage and, and we know better than that. We're, we're, we are two totally, completely imperfect people desperately in need of grace and patience, just like any other couple. I'm going to give you personal illustrations because I want you to know that I'm not just cooking this stuff up, I'm eating it too. Okay? All right? Uh, Guardrails with how we spend our finances. And again, I'm just telling you what works for us. I'm not saying that every couple has to operate this way or you're you're doomed, okay? Just trying to be helpful here. Excuse me, we both work, and she does not have her money, and I have mine. Okay? We don't, we, don't, we don't separate it or anything like that. It all comes from God, belongs to God, and we make decisions together. And unless it's Christmas, we would hardly spend $20 without the other person knowing. Now, Christmas, we lie, and, and you know, nobody has, nobody has a clue what you're doing Christmas time, and, you know, that's fun. But other than that, we don't. I don't carry a wad of cash in my pocket during the week that just happens to go missing and I don't, ha- and I don't know at the end of the week where it went or what I spent it on. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen in our, in our family. If I take money out of the bank, I, it's normal. I fully expect her to see that and to wonder what that was for. And I'm okay with that. That's good. That's accountability. That's smart. That's not nagging. And she does the banking because that's what works for us. And I'm... In, in, in everybody's different, right? In spending, I'm more like the accelerator and Gayla's more like the brake. And that's a good relationship. What happens if you get two accelerators married to each other? <laughs> yeah, you know what happens, right? When you get two accelerators married to each other, you know, exactly. No guardrails. Um, also, we give 10% of all of our income to the church. We give 10% right off the top. Oh, hey, that's just me. You don't need to applaud my giving. That's normal. Tithing should be normal, okay? Giving 10% to God's work should be normal. If you're not there, I encourage you to start somewhere and build up. Try, you know, do your best and, and try to get there. You and God can do more with 90% than you alone can do with 100%. That's the tithing principle, and it works. And I'd say if your finances are a, a wreck and a disaster, try tithing. I'm just, I'm just saying, just try it. And see what God does. See, see if God blesses you. Money is a test. It's a test to see whether or not you trust God. That's, that's what money is. Uh, number two, guardrails in our relationships. In our relationships, there's absolutely nothing to hide. Uh, open access both ways to everything. Email, text. I leave my phone out on the counter. If I get a text, I'm not rushing to get my phone before she sees who it was from. She can look at any of my texts. She can answer my texts. She can see all my email. There's, there's, just, there's nothing to hide that creates safety in the, in the relationship and in the home. Uh, no personal calls. If there's someone in your world that your spouse isn't comfortable with them, listen to them. Okay? If there's someone that, that your spouse is not comfortable when you're around that other person, listen to that, okay? Listen to that. 
I'm never five minutes where Gala or someone in the office doesn't know where I am. And, and if you push back on that, if you're thinking, well, that's weird, you know, and, uh, you know I, I need to have my freedom. Freedom without accountability is speed without brakes. And you will crash. If my plans change during the day, and I thought I was going to be here, but I ended up there, I, t- I call or text to let her know. I don't meet or do coffee or lunch alone with the opposite sex. It just doesn't, just doesn't happen. The guardrails with our time. Uh, you know, if you hear someone say, well, how I spend my, my, my own time is up to me. Well, that's not how you felt when you were dating this person and you wanted them to marry you. What you did to get her is what you do to keep her. Yes? And now I can go out with the guys. Gayla can, can go out with her friends. We're not weird. What's weird is if you'd rather be with someone else. That's weird. Or if you neglect one another. Or if you neglect your family. We don't have a designated family time. It's all family time. The whole week. Like it all belongs to our to our family, and I fully expect to spend my evenings with her unless something else comes up, and I look forward to it. Guardrails in our conversations. We, we try to avoid put-down humor, which is really hard for me because I have the gift of sarcasm. But put-down humor, especially between spouses, gets old really fast. It really, really fast. And when we're, you know, if we're somewhere and we, a spouse is putting down another spouse, you just cringe and you just think, oh... That, that hurts. Um, I don't vent to the guys or other people about my wife. Um, now, looking for advice from a trusted friend is different than venting or, or just, just intentionally trying to make the other person look bad. Right? Uh, one more guardrail that we have in our marriage is to never let the sun go down on any type of, of disagreement. Two human beings are never going to agree on everything. And there will be times, especially those of you who, f- who feel like, I have to win. I, I just got to win this. I can't let it go. There will be times when you'll need to concede, even if you still think you're right. Being in a right relationship is more important than being right. <laughs> being in a right relationship is more important than being right. And if you want to be right all the time, don't get married. Marriage Counseling 101. If you want to be right all the time, don't get married. You have to be willing to lose, to share, to see it the other person's way. Sometimes I go with her way. Sometimes she goes with, with my ideas. And that's it. That's, that's how it works. And in the end, it all works out and everyone has a good night's sleep. Now, I don't need to be right. I'm not offended when she thinks she's right. And I'm quick to admit, hey, I could be wrong. And, and I'm, I don't know everything, and I'm, not, and I'm not perfect, and I truly want to see it her way. And I will consider it because I want to be considerate. You know what, what this does. It, it makes it impossible to keep score when you live this way. You can't keep score when you, when you live this way. And this is good for marriage, really bad for hockey, but it's good for marriage. If she buys something, I don't feel like, well, 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 I need to get something, right? I don't do that. If she's out with the girls, I don't feel like, well, okay, okay, well, all right, I'm going to go out with the guy. We don't live that way. If she wins, I don't feel like I lost. I can just feel like she won. And that's okay. And what's really remarkable about this text is what 
Paul compares the marriage relationship to. That's the mind-blowing part of this text. Is Paul compares the marriage relationship, the way that we should love one another, with how Jesus loves the church. This is, this is just mind-blowing. And maybe we don't do enough on the front end to help couples, uh, to prepare couples for a lifelong relationship of extreme sacrifice. How Jesus loved the church. A lifelong relationship of extreme sacrifice. Willing to give his life. Some days, we're not willing to give an inch. And Jesus was willing to do anything. As Jesus loved the church. Willing to forgive. Willing to serve. Willing to to stand up for the things that matter. Not running from the first hint of opposition, not even running under the worst possible circumstances, Jesus didn't run. As Jesus loved the church, so you should love one another. And if you don't establish mutually agreed upon guardrails in your marriage, you'll eventually wreck. You'll have pain. You'll have regret. It will It will happen how we're going to respond this morning to God's word. And and, uh, I've been praying for this time, and quite frankly, I've been praying for for just something miraculous, something radical. I don't want you to be normal. I want a zero divorce rate. I, I want your marriage to be so different and, and so faithful and so committed and so on fire for Jesus that the people around you say, what are you doing? What, how, give, tell me your secret and you can point them to Jesus. I want your marriage to, to, to not just survive. I want it to thrive. I want it to be off the charts. So we need to respond to God's word this morning. And I know that Many couples who are here right now, married, uh, or those who are planning on being married, or those who maybe you're just dating and, and you just you just want to get a right start to all of this, uh, many of you I know are going to want to join hands and come stand here at the front of the church this morning and, and recommit to this. And let's commit this morning to being mutually submissive, submissive one to another. Let's commit to open communication. More patience. More understanding. Let's, let's pledge our unlimited, unlimited sacrifice to the other person. And don't come down and stand at the front of this church this morning unless you are 100% committed to this. Don't come down if you're iffy. Don't come down if you're waffling. Don't come down if the other person is dragging you. You've got to be, you've got to be all in on this. Maybe you've been planning to bail. Maybe you already have bailed. Maybe God is speaking to you today. Come and pray. If you can't come forward, like if you're just like, there's just, I cannot make my feet go forward and stand at the front of the church. That's okay. Take your spouse's hand or get your spouse's shoulder around you and, and, and pray for them as, as, we're, as we uh, pray together. If you're single and you want to pray for a godly spouse, Come down and, and, and here to the front of the church and pray for... I think that's a great idea to pray for a godly spouse. I think, I think it's a great idea. Uh, if you have friends and their, their marriage is a wreck 
and, and God is laying them on your heart this morning and you want to pray for their relationship, then I, I think it'd be good for you to, to pray for, for that as well. Let's ruin the stats on marriage in a good way. Let's ruin them. Okay, so I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. In fact, let's all stand now. And I'm going to pray. Pastor Jay's going to lead us. We're going to respond to the Holy Spirit. And we're going to respond to God's Word. And if you want to come and, and uh, gather around the front of the church this morning and invite God to work in your, your marriage, your relationships, uh, your future, whatever, uh, we're going to invite you to come. Jesus, Lord, I, I stand here amazed again. I stand here amazed again this morning at how you work and how you lead and how you guide when we, when we get out of your way. And here we are in a snowy, icy, rainy, whatever, Sunday in late January. And you're here. And, and you're speaking to us right now. And God, I pray for courage. I pray, Lord, that you would give uh, these couples courage. It took a lot of took a lot of courage to get that relationship started. It took a lot of courage to stand at an altar and, and say, I do. Uh, took a lot of courage to say, for better, for worse, until death do us part. And, and, and Lord, I know that there are many couples here this morning that, that want to come before you and say, God, uh, bind us together. Uh, help us to be unshakable. Uh, help this thing to last until the very, very end. Keep us together. Protect us. Help us to love one another. Help us to serve one another. There might be some people who need to surrender the will to win everything. There might be some people who realize that the way that they've been acting in that marriage has been damaging. And they might want to just just, just come before you and, and confess that and ask forgiveness from you and from their, from their spouse. So, Lord, we've said enough. It's time for you to do your work. We invite you to uh, come and, uh, and, and just fall in this place as we totally surrender our lives and our marriages, our relationships to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people responded to what God was speaking to them, what God was saying in their heart this morning.